This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. Hey, all you blockheads, and yes, that's a term of affection in this community. I'm Paul Boyer. Welcome to Mad Men Machine Season 2, Episode 4, for Friday, June 6, 2014, where the future is so dark, I gotta wear shades. That's right, coming up on this episode, it's all about anonymity. Broadcasting from the Bitcoin bunker, six blocks below. Brandishing the blockchain to fight good versus evil. This is Bitcoin versus the man. This is the battle of the century. This is the mad money machine. I couldn't do the mad money machine without you. That's listener support. And Brocker.com. Spend your Bitcoins on just about anything on the internet or buy Bitcoins with your credit card or PayPal at Brocker.com. The great promise of Bitcoin is being able to transact money, send and receive money, without relying on a trusted third party. It's like cash for the internet. The greater promise of Bitcoin is being able to do that in complete privacy, total anonymity, utter secrecy. You say, well, I really don't have anything to hide. Oh, okay. What's the pin number for your bank account then? What's the, uh, what's the uh, password to get into your email account? How much money do you make a year? And what are the names uh, of all your kids and where do they go to school? And where do you keep your car keys? The reason we hide things is to protect our property and to protect our own personal security. Admittedly, there's a lot of people not at all concerned about their privacy. They get, they get on Facebook and say, hey, we're going on vacation for a week. We'll see y'all when we get back. The great hope is that Technology can someday save even these people from their own uh, lack of privacy, lack of sense of security. Yes, I'm hoping the future is so dark that I gotta wear shades. I study nuclear science, I love my classes. I got a crazy teacher, he wears dark glasses. Things are going great, and they're only getting better. I'm doing alright, getting good grades. I mean, this whole thing's in its infancy. Uh, Bitcoin itself is still not known by a lot of people. You know, you look at a football game on TV and just imagine all the people in the stadium. And how many of them even know what Bitcoin is? That's a very small percentage of people at this point know any. They, they may have heard of Bitcoin you know, and when it went up to $1,000, it was in the news a little bit. And they might have thought, eh, it's just like some kind of Amazon coin or some crazy little token scheme. And so, the, you know, a lot of people don't know about Bitcoin yet. We know about it. We're the Bitcoin insiders. We're the blockheads. But Bitcoin is going to really help eliminate the need for a trusted third party. But there's more 
to the great dream about Bitcoin than just that. The great dream about Bitcoin is also providing us with anonymity, security, privacy. The future is dark. The future includes this privacy cloak. So what are some of the technologies that are coming out that could help us in this way? Well, you know, some of the technologies they're talking about would bolt on top of Bitcoin to help us with privacy. One such is Dark Wallet. From darkwallet.is webpage, they say Dark Wallet is a community of projects developing a wallet with privacy, scalability, and integrity. We see Bitcoin fundamentally as a new tool of business and trade in a free economy, more than a mere payments innovation. Dark Wallet is our first step into a series of products that will touch upon tools for markets, governance, and organization. These are tools we need for our own communities, where we aim to create self-managed spaces. And if you look on the About page, you've got some notable names there. Cody Wilson, the 3D-printed gun guy. Peter Todd, chief scientist, works on several Bitcoin-related projects, including MasterCoin, and helps out with the actual uh, Bitcoin source. And Amir Taki. At the moment, Dark Wallet is in Alpha 3. That's pre-beta. So it's not quite beta, it's still in alpha. Version 0.3.1 is available. It's an alpha preview. So the future is dark, just not the present. Now another project that wanted to kind of bolt itself onto Bitcoin and give you privacy and anonymity was ZeroCoin. Way back when, these guys from Johns Hopkins University, they wanted to kind of, uh, you know, change Bitcoin just a little bit. To give it anonymity. They decided, nah, let's scrap that. Let's create our own coin called Zero Coin in conjunction with Zero Cash, which out on their website, zerocash-project.org, says Zero Cash is a new protocol that provides a privacy preserving, not perversing, uh, privacy preserving version of Bitcoin or similar currency. And they say zero cash fixes an inherent weakness of Bitcoin. That is, every user's payment history is recorded in public view on the blockchain and is thus readily available to anyone. While there are techniques to obfuscate this information, there are problematic, they are problematic and ineffective. Instead, in zero cash, users may pay one another directly via payment transactions that reveal neither the origin, destination, or amount of the payment. This is a market improvement compared to Bitcoin and similar decentralized digital currencies, where every payment's information is made public for the whole world to see. They say Zero Cash improves on an earlier protocol, Zero Coin, developed by some of the same authors, both in functionality and in efficiency. Now, ZeroCoin is also part of the dark future because it's not quite available yet either. They go on to say, how does ZeroCash work? ZeroCash extends the protocol and software underlying Bitcoin by adding new privacy-preserving payments. In doing so, it forms a new protocol that, while using some of the same technology and software as Bitcoin, is distinct from it. This new protocol has both anonymous coins, dubbed zero coins, and non-anonymous ones, 
which for purposes of disambiguation we call base coins. In contrast to Bitcoin's transactions, payment transactions using the Zero Cash protocol do not contain any public information about the payment's origin, destination, or amount. Instead, the correctness of the transaction is demonstrated via the use of a zero-knowledge proof. Users can convert from base coins to zero coins, send zero coins to other users, and split or merge zero coins they own in any way that preserves the total value. Users may also convert zero coins back into base coins, though in principle this is not necessary. All transactions can be made in terms of zero coins. So Dark Wallet and then Zero Coin tried to do what Dark Wallet maybe is trying to do, but they decided to go their own way. Then there's also Dark Coin. This is another uh, new coin separate from Bitcoin. You can find out more about it at darkcoin.io. Their website says, Welcome to the next generation of digital currency. Dark Coin is secure, decentralized, and anonymous. Now they have a wallet. That's out there. You can download their wallet, sync up to the Dark Coin blockchain. Their website says, What makes Dark Coin different? And they mean by different from Bitcoin. They say, We engineered Dark Coin to be a digital version of cash. When sending Dark Coin, you choose whether the transaction is private or public. Your Dark Coin is stored in a digital wallet that you own and control. Transactions are anonymous from the wallet meaning you don't have to trust a third party to make the transaction private. Why do we need an anonymous digital currency? Would you leave your bank statement out for any stranger to see? Bitcoin began a revolution in bankless, zero, and low-fee online payments, but it's not without flaws. The public ledger of transactions, the blockchain, allows anyone to track the transactions you make with Bitcoin. Privacy is is a concern for anyone interacting online, especially during transfers of value. We need a truly anonymous digital currency to safely store wealth and make payments online. And they say Darkcoin's unique anonymous payment system called DarkSend allows anyone to make transactions anonymously. The innovation is in the mixing of inputs and outputs going through the DarkSend system. A user's payment is automatically split into smaller denominations and pooled with the split-up payments of other users. Receivers of payments draw these denominations automatically from the pools until they have received the correct amount. Anyone viewing the blockchain will see payments being made, but they won't be able to see who paid who. It's 0% pre-mined, and they estimate a maximum of 22 million dark coins. There was an article at a coin desk, May 30th, Stan Higgins Dark coin and X11 coin rivalry triggers Twitter spat. He says the past two weeks have seen the meteoric rise of anonymous altcoins, digital currencies which leverage specialized network technologies to conceal both the source and identity of those conducting transactions. Dark coin, X11 coin or XC, and Monero are a few altcoins that have seen big increases in attention from investors, traders, and crypto enthusiasts. Well, earlier in the week, a rivalry of sorts began between the communities of Darkcoin and XC, which unfortunately took a turn for the worse 
as allegations of stolen or misrepresented code elements surfaced on Twitter and the Bitcoin Talk forum. Others questioned why the developer opted to keep some elements of the XC code private during development. At the center of the argument was a tweet from the official Darkcoin Twitter account, which linked users to the Bitcoin Talk post containing the allegation that XC's developer had appropriated elements of Fedora coin. Some users quickly posted condemnations of the post, suggesting that members of the Darkcoin community were intentionally sabotaging XC. Others defended the decision to use the official account to share the link, deeming it an effective method to force transparency in an ecosystem rife with fraudulent behavior. And indeed, if we go out to coinmarketcap.com, at the moment, it's a battle for third place between Darkcoin and NXT. Now, it's been a real battle for third place in the altcoin space. Darkcoin made it to number three briefly earlier this week, up to $60 million. And, but next, stormed ahead this week with a 43% gain in one day. So next is third, Darkcoin is fourth. Now, XC briefly made it to 11th place and then dropped down to 16th place after a 36% loss. XC, about a tenth of the market cap of dark coin. XC, you can read more about at x11coin.org. And they say XC was created to preserve individual liberty in response to an ever-growing threat of privacy invasion. They have a Windows and OS X download. They say they have a plan to re release a more user-friendly wallet in a post-Rev2 release. There's an FAQ on their site that asks, how will the network function with anonymous technology implemented? They answer, there will be a separate button to leverage the technology, and the network will have three parts. The existing blockchain, a new protocol already developed in existing client, and a new protocol provides a multi-path paradigm to provide additional protection on non-likable transactions. And I don't know anything about what that anything about what I just read means. And it looks like their future is dark as well. And it is, I believe, in the future. So we've got Dark Wallet trying to make Bitcoin secure. Then we've got some coins that themselves try to have their own security, Dark Coin, XC, Zero Coin. And then we have some developments such as Dark Market. Now, here's another system whose future is also dark. It's very much in the, I'd say it's even in pre-alpha stages. It was just a pure prototype that's out on GitHub. Uh, was demonstrated at one of the hackathons and it's, you know, purely a demo, not actually working code. Uh, there is some uh, code available out on GitHub that people can take, and people are taking it. Brian Hoffman, meet up here in Northern Virginia, took it and uh, forked it into Open Bazaar, the much friendlier sounding, welcome to the world of light, people. <laughs> Instead of focusing on all the illegal things you can do, let's just focus on the fact that, hey, we can trade things in private and be content with that. Open Bazaar is not yet released either, so its future is dark. You can read more about Open Bazaar at forum.openbazaar. Do you know how to spell bazaar? B-A-Z-A-A-R.org. And you can help develop it if you have the skills. So Dark Market and Open Bazaar, two ways to 
conduct transactions online in secure privacy anonymity. Of course, another way to preserve anonymity online is go with Tor, the onion router, which I've never used, but I understand it's pretty good. Or with you could go with the Amnesic Incognito Live system, which is now out. Version 1, the Amnesic Incognito Live system. Of course, the acronym there is TAILS. Wikipedia says it is a security-focused Debian-based Linux distribution aimed at preserving privacy and anonymity. It is the next iteration of development on the previous Gen 2-based Incognito Linux distribution. All of its outgoing connections are forced to go through Tor, and direct, non-anonymous connections are blocked. The system is designed to be booted for as a live DVD or live USB, and will leave no trace or digital footprint on the machine unless explicitly told to do so. The Tor project has provided most of the financial support for development. Laura Poitras, Glenn Greenwald, and Barton Gelman have each said that Tails was an important tool they used in their work with Edward Snowden. They say on their website that version 1.0 does not mean that we will stop adding new features and improving Tails. Briefly, here are our plans for the future. Their dark future. Tails 1.1 is due in June of 2014. will be based on Debian 7, Wheezy, and will bring many new versions of the software included in Tails. Tails 2.0 will focus on sustainability and maintainability. Most of that work aims at reducing the workload of creating new versions of Tails through infrastructure improvements and automated testing. Our objective is to be able to release same-day security updates. Then, looking deeply into the dark future, Tails 3 will focus on changes in the internals of Tails to make it more secure. That includes sandboxing critical applications and software hardening. So dark coin, dark wallet, dark market, open bazaar. XC, zero coin and zero cash. Tor and tails. To all those, we add made safe. M-A-I-D-S-A-F-E dot net. Another one whose future is very dark. The great anonymous distributed hope of the next generation internet. Well, I can see with all of these technologies that are just at the, just the bleeding edge of providing a dark future, as difficult as they may be, you may be able to use, and I can't even say now because you can't even use them now, some of them, but as difficult as they may be used when they come out, ah, there will be a day when they're easy to use. I remember trying to get on the internet with Windows 95 and my Winsock DLL file was at the wrong version. So I had to dig in and download the new driver for my Winsock DLL. <laughs> the internet was not so easy to use back in 1995, almost 20 years ago. Just like anonymity, privacy, and security aren't that easy to use now. But in 20 years, well... The future looks dark. So as you may know, I'm an avid golfer, and I like to save money. 
which the two of those are sort of, they don't go together well. <laughs> yeah, a lot of golfers are wealthy and uh, us poor golfers, you know, it's a different game for us poor golfers. For example, in one of the pro shops in my area, they sell a sleeve of Titleist NXT Tour golf balls for $11. Now, a sleeve is three golf balls. So that's, that's almost $12. That's almost $4 a golf ball. Now, forget about Pro V1s, which are $13 a sleeve. You know, almost $5 a golf ball. But NXT, so needless to say, as a poor golfer, I don't buy new sleeves of golf balls from the pro shops in the area. What I do is go out to lostgolfballs.com, and there I can buy second-quality used Titleist NXT Tour golf balls. I can buy 50 of them for 27 bucks, which works out to be just over 50 cents a golf ball, which is still kind of pricey, in my opinion. Now, lostgolfballs.com doesn't accept Bitcoin. Wait a minute. But you know what I can do? Absolutely, you know what I can do. I can go to one of the supporters of Mad Money Machine. I can go to Brocker.com and enter my desire to spend Bitcoins at LostGolfBalls.com. And I can buy, I can have someone buy me a gift certificate to LostGolfBalls.com. They'll send it to me in the email. I get the code in the email. I go back to lostgolfballs.com, apply that code to my account, and voila! The money is transferred to my account at lostgolfballs.com. It's simple as that using broker.com. Just go out on broker.com and sign up for an account. Doesn't cost you anything to sign up for an account. While you're there, take a look at the tab called Buy Bitcoins and see what other people are requesting being bought for them. You never know. Maybe I'll be out there looking for some golf balls just like I am on the golf course. So next time you want to buy something on the internet, go through Brocker.com, B-R-A-W-K-E-R.com. Everybody wins at Brocker.com, and I get the golf balls. And I had one listener supporter this week, J.J. Phillips from Toronto, sent in .06 Bitcoin, or 60 millibits. His message, Earn pseudonymous academic credentials at mathgate.info. By learning basic reasoning skills and proving theorems. Yeah, I encourage you to go out and take a look at mathgate.info. Thank you so much, J.J. Phillips. And thanks to all the tippers out there. The Mad Money Machine appreciates your tips, but the Mad Money Machine needs your support. Please go to madmoneymachine.com and click the donate button. And you can have four lines of text read on the next episode of the Mad Money Machine. Let's pull out our tatami mats and squat ourselves down in Satoshi's Corner. Satoshi no corner. January 17th, 2009. Satoshi Nakamoto replies to Dustin D. Trammell, who replied to Satoshi Nakamoto... Out at the cryptography mailing list. Satoshi originally wrote, You know, I think there were a lot more people interested in the 90s, but after more than a decade of failed, trusted, third-party-based systems, Digicash, etc., they see it as a lost cause. I hope 
they can make the distinction that this is the first time I know of that we're trying a non-trust-based system. Dustin writes, Yeah, that was the primary feature that caught my eye. The real trick will be to get people to actually value the Bitcoins so that they become currency. And Satoshi replies, I would be surprised if 10 years from now we're not using electronic currency in some way, now that we know a way to do it that won't inevitably get dumbed down when the trusted third party gets cold feet. It could get started in a narrow niche like reward points, donation tokens, currency for a game, or micropayments for a websites. Initially, it can be used in proof-of-work applications for services that could almost be free, but not quite. It can already be used for pay-to-send email. The send dialog is resizable, and you can enter as long of a message as you like. It's sent directly when it connects. The recipient double-clicks on the transaction to see the full message. If someone famous is getting more email than they can read, but would still like to have a way for fans to connect to them, they can set up a Bitcoin, set up Bitcoin and give out the IP address on their website. Send X Bitcoins to my priority hotline at this IP and I'll read the message personally. Subscription sites that need some extra proof of work for their free trial so that it doesn't cannibalize subscriptions could charge Bitcoins for the trial. It might make sense just to get some in case it catches on. If enough people think the same way, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once it gets bootstrapped, there are so many applications. If you could effortlessly pay a few cents to a website as easily as dropping coins in a vending machine. Satoshi Nakamoto Coindesk.com, Danny Bradbury, June 2nd. Meet the bots that let you trade Bitcoin in your sleep. Talks about the Mt. Gox bot named Willy, which was an algorithmic trading uh, thing that's getting a bad rap. He asks, so how do these bots work and can they really make you money? Trading bots are software programs that talk directly to financial exchanges and place buy and sell orders on your behalf. They make those decisions by watching the market's price movements and reaching, uh, reacting according to a set of predefined rules. To which I say, hmm, even if you have a bot do it, that's active trading. And we have a 12-step program for you. Here now, step three, stock pickers, and the principles apply to cryptocurrency pickers as well. One, two, three, four. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. A 12-step program for active investors. Step 3. Stock Pickers. So I'm watching TV the other day trying to get some stock tips and this guy comes on and tells me how high my stocks should be. Hey, Mr. TV guy, why don't you ever tell us what your long-term stock picking performance is? I don't know the secrets you keep, but I know where you hide. You see, I don't trust this feeling I get from him. But I still watch it, and I know I'll get by, I hope. I just can't tell which of their stock picks are right from wrong. 
even at the best of times. You know, you can get so enchanted with all their cunning lies. I'm really starting to think it's a babbling of fools. I don't know the secrets you keep, but I know where you hide. I don't trust this feeling I get, yeah, but I'll get by. I can't tell right from wrong at the best of times. One can be so enchanted with all your cunning lies, babbling the fools. Babbling the fools. Stock pickers are active investors who bet they can beat a market by picking stocks they believe will outperform an index or market average. The chances of a fund manager beating a market over the long term are about the same as betting on one number on a roulette table in Vegas, or about 1 in 38. On average, stock pickers will always lose by an amount equal to their costs and expenses. If you think you or anyone else can beat the market over the long term, if you are a stock picker, we're here to rescue you. We're here to bring you home. Is there some way you can rescue me? Some way you can bring me home again? Some way you can rescue me? Rescue me. Rescue me. Let's pull something out of the Mad Money Machine tool crib. Well, the future is dark. It's dark for email as well. That's why you need to go to protonmail.ch and get your secure, private, encrypted email whenever it comes out. Yeah, it's not quite available yet. They're on a public beta. You have to sign up. You'll get an email from them whenever it becomes available. But why would you want to use Proton Mail? Well, it's Swiss-based. It's incorporated in Switzerland, and our servers are located in Switzerland. We are outside of U.S. and E.U. jurisdiction, and all user data is protected by Swiss, strict Swiss privacy laws. Zero access. Because of our end-to-end encryption, your data is already encrypted by the time it reaches our servers. We have no access to your messages, and since we cannot decrypt them, we cannot share them with third parties. Easy to use. Proton Mail works out of any modern web browser. There's nothing to install. We are also backwards compatible with other email providers, so you can continue sending and receiving emails from friends who are not using Proton Mail. Fully anonymous. We do not log IP addresses or require any personal information to sign up. And it's cross platform. Works on desktops, laptops, tablets, and smartphones. It's as simple as visiting our site and logging in. There are no plugins or apps to reinstall. Simply use your favorite web browser. Well, if the future is as dark as protonmail.ch claims, I'm definitely going to wear my shades. Well, that's this week's tool. Secure anonymous private email from protonmail.ch. And like the best things in life, it's free.
Let's play a round of the world's favorite game, Guru Roulette. I've replaced the numbers on a roulette wheel with the names of Bitcoin gurus. I'll spin the wheel and roll the marble and for the selected guru, give you a little background on their Bitcoin philosophy. So here we go. And the winner this time on Madman Machine Season 2, Episode 4 is Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff, Peter David Schiff, born March 23, 1963. Uh, he's 51 years old, is an American businessman, investment broker, author, and financial commentator. He's CEO and chief global strategist of Euro Pacific Capital, a broker dealer based in Westport, Connecticut. And he appears on TV all the time because he's the bear on the other side of the bullish argument. Here he was on CNBC recently, and he was talking about the Bitcoin. Peter Schiff is joining us today, one of your favorite gold bugs and mine, of course. Peter, welcome back to the show. Always great to have you on. Of course, CEO of Euro Pacific Capital. Uh, let's go ahead and just jump into this right now because you made some big news. You partnered with BitPay and you allowed investors to convert their Bitcoins into gold. There's a lot of conversation online about this right now. Um, you know, last time you were on the show, Peter, I have to say, you did not have a very positive stance on Bitcoin. And I want you to take a listen to what you said. To me, it looks like a modern-day tulip mania. I mean, the fact that there are people in the hard money community that have embraced uh, a Bitcoin. Look, a, a bubble is a bubble, and a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money in Bitcoin. All right, let's just stop right there, and let's break this down. A lot of people are going to lose a lot of money in Bitcoin. Define for me exactly how that would happen. Let's say 10 people. Uh, 10 different people bought Bitcoins at $1,000 last November, and they sold them last month for $450. Those 10 people lost a lot of money. Yeah, but who'd they buy the Bitcoin from? They bought it from people who got $1,000 per Bitcoin. Sounds to me like a lot of people made a lot of money on Bitcoin. In fact, on net, since Bitcoin started out at about... Um, what, $0 per Bitcoin? <laughs> now that it's up above $600 per Bitcoin, I'd say a lot of people have made a lot of money in Bitcoin. But I don't think it's, gonna, it's going to end up being a source of commerce for the world. Oh, well, therefore we should buy gold, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love gold, but I don't hate Bitcoin. So that's his prediction is that Bitcoin won't become a source of commerce for the world. We you know, predictions are like armpits. They both stink. No, I, I haven't changed my views. I still think that there is a, a bubble in Bitcoin, and uh, I don't think uh, we've seen the lows yet. I think that Bitcoins are going to continue uh, to trend lower. And I certainly want people who own Bitcoins to use their Bitcoins to buy precious metals, which I see as a much more secure and reliable store of value. And I certainly want to make it as easy as possible for Bitcoin owners uh, to use their bitcoins to acquire real money, gold and silver. So this is very similar to last week's episode when we talked about David S. Evans's claim that Overstock's not accepting bitcoin, they're just accepting dollars through payment processor BitPay. And that's what Peter Schiff's doing. He's accepting dollars or whatever currency he wants from BitPay. People are sending bitcoins to BitPay. BitPay is sending dollars to Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff is sending gold to the person who sends spends their bitcoin. My opinion hasn't changed. It's, it's exactly the same. Okay, well, let's talk about Bitcoin a little bit more. You know, you did bring up the price action that we've seen in, the, uh, in, in it. Uh, what do you think the fair value is for, for Bitcoin at this point? 
Oh, here we go. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if it has any value. I mean, right now it's worth what people are willing to pay. But I don't know what willing, people are willing to pay in the future. Well, well, of course it's worth what people are willing to pay. Goodness gracious, that's how prices come about. Why is steak more valuable than hamburger? Why are buffalo wings more valuable than drumsticks? And of course you can't predict the future price of Bitcoin. No one can predict a market. You know, when I first found out about Bitcoin, there might have been about a half a dozen other digital currencies. Now there's almost 300 of them. There's been a lot of inflation uh, among digital currencies. They keep launching a new one almost every day. So you've got all this supply coming on the market. So I don't really know uh, what, if anything, they're worth. Does mining more aluminum cause inflation in gold? I mean, they're both metals. They're competing metals. Peter, doesn't this actually drive home the point that Bitcoin equals gold and that they are exactly the same thing and that neither one has any inherent value? If there's any value in either one of them, it's simply based on the myth that somebody will give you dollars either for Bitcoin, Bitcoin or gold with one exception, and that is you're taking Bitcoin now because you can transact it electronically. So in that case... Isn't Bitcoin actually better than gold? Because if I want to buy something with gold, yeah. I got to take it into somebody or I have to change it for dollars. I yeah. can't do it electronically. Yeah. It's an 18th century currency. <laughs> well, see, what you forget is long before gold became money, it was a highly valued it's good. Not money. It was a luxury it's not good. Money. It was a it's a metal. Gold. No, no. <laughs> No, but it has properties of a metal. Gold is used not only in jewelry and it's used decoratively, but it's used in, in electronics. There's gold in cell phones. It's used in dentistry. There's all sorts of practical uses for gold. Gold has a value unique to itself, not just that it has a value as money. It has a lot of other properties that made it money. The people made gold money. Governments didn't decree that gold was money. Gold won the free market battle for the commodity that was best suited to serve as money. You know, it just hit me. What Peter Schiff really ought to do is accept Bitcoin and keep Bitcoin and then sell Bitcoin for gold. Allow people to turn in their gold coins and get Bitcoins instead. Now, there's a good business, Peter Schiff. And that idea comes to you for free. Well, let's hear from another Bitcoinophile and how he reacts to Peter Schiff's accepting Bitcoin. This is Max Kaiser on episode 606 of the Kaiser Report. So Peter Schiff is being dragged into the 21st century, whether he likes it or not. And he says he doesn't necessarily support Bitcoin, but that's absurd. By accepting Bitcoin, you're increasing the network, which validates Bitcoin, which is supporting Bitcoin. It doesn't matter whether Peter Schiff thinks he's supporting Bitcoin or not for him to be supporting Bitcoin. Yes. Uh, you know, he can pretend like he's not supporting Bitcoin while he's pretending Bitcoin. But we know the truth, Peter, that the genius of Satoshi Nakamoto has done a number on your head and you finally are being sucked into the vortex that is Bitcoin. And soon he'll understand that. Bitcoin is equal to gold in many ways. And then I predict within a year, he'll be saying that Bitcoin is superior to gold in many ways. So this is the progression. Peter has now stepped on the ladder toward Bitcoin apostletum. And welcome aboard. Well, isn't it Moore's Law, is it called, where, you know, one fax machine isn't worth much, but two is worth more and 10 is worth even more. And that would be uh, Metcalf's law. Metcalf's and Moore's law, law is, uh, <laughs> refers to the ever decreasing cost of uh, CPU. 
okay. uh, going forward. So his using it increases the value of it, thus validating the opinion of many Bitcoin evangelists around the world that it's it's it, he could you could hate a fax machine, but the very fact that you had a fax machine increased the value of having a fax machine to all the other people in the network. That's exactly right. So thank you very much, Apostle Peter. Peter Schiff, you're the guru on Madman Machine Season 2, Episode 4. Two weeks ago, we learned that scientists think that the universe is basically just made up of bits of information. Last week, I talked about how computer scientists have created a very detailed simulation of the universe. Well, check out this article this week by Nick Bostrom. Do we live in a computer simulation? This article, he talks about the simulation argument. Talks about the great technological progress that we're making. He says if we extrapolate these expected technological advances and think through some of their logical implications, we arrive at another humbling conclusion, the simulation argument, which has caused some stir since I published it a few years ago. The formal version of the argument requires some probability theory, but the underlying idea can be grasped without mathematics. It starts with the assumption that future civilizations will have enough computing power and programming skills to be able to create what I call ancestor simulations. These would be detailed simulations of the simulator's predecessors, detailed enough for the simulated minds to be conscious and have the same kinds of experiences we have. Think of an ancestor simulation as a very realistic virtual reality environment, but one where the brains inhabiting the world are themselves part of the simulation. The simulation argument makes no assumption about how long it will take to develop this capacity. Some futurologists think it will happen within the next 50 years. But even if it takes 10 million years, it makes no difference to the argument. Let me state what the conclusion of the argument is. The conclusion is that at least one of the following three propositions must be true. One, almost all civilizations at our level of development become extinct before becoming technologically mature. Or two, the fraction of technologically mature civilizations that are interested in creating ancestor simulations is almost zero. Or three, you are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. How do we reach this conclusion? Suppose that the first proposition is false. Almost all civilizations become extinct before technologically mature. Well, then a significant fraction of civilizations at our level of development eventually become technologically mature. Suppose, too, that the second proposition is false, that they're not interested in creating simulations. Then a significant fraction of these civilizations run ancestor simulations. Therefore, if both one and two are false, there will be simulated minds like ours. The article continues. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. He concludes, If we are in a simulation, could we ever know for certain? If the simulators don't want us to find out, we probably never will. But if they choose to reveal themselves, they could certainly do so. 
Another event that would let us conclude with a high degree of confidence that we are in a simulation is if we ever reach a point when we are about to switch on our own ancestor simulations. That would be very strong evidence against the first two propositions, leaving us only with the third. The Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. When you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. Were you listening to me, Neo? Or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? I was... Look again. Who is it? You're listening to Paul Boyer's Mad Money Machine. Well, I hope your future is dark. (laughs) You know, I'm hearing that Dark Market is actually not going to continue operations. They're going to seed development to Open Bazaar. So congratulations, Brian Hoffman, on... Your achievement there, and good luck to getting supporters to help you develop that uh, exciting new future dark technology. And I hope all the other ones I mentioned at the beginning of the show come about soon. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. This is Paul Boyer saying it takes money to make money, and it takes millibits to make a mad money machine. I'll see you next Friday, June the 13th. That's right, Friday the 13th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. In the meantime, go to Brocker.com and buy some Bitcoin, spend some Bitcoin, and replenish your Bitcoin. And then go to MadMoneyMachine.com and donate some Bitcoin. Can I ask a favor of you? Send out a tweet, including at MadMoneyMachine. You can email me, Bitcoin, at MadMoneyMachine.com. Or call the voicemail line at 571-366-7121. For those of you that just hate music, the podcast is over for you. For the rest of us, I end the show now with a classic from Vertical Horizon from their 1999 album, Everything You Want. Were they singing about the simulation argument? Here's the single that reached number 23 on the Billboard Hot 100, You're a God. See you next Friday, everybody. And that's okay And there's somewhere beyond this I know But I hope I can find the words to say
days and that's okay And there's somewhere beyond this I know I hope I can find the words to say Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, and go check out the LTB app. If you're an iPhone user, go to the App Store and check out the new Let's Talk Bitcoin application. You can download all the shows or just the shows you want, and you can get all the articles that are written for the LTB network. I'll see you next Friday.